we holding up out there? Is that a Lee sweater? You're my favorite person. Right on. How did you guys enjoy that last panel? Pretty good. Interesting to hear the women's perspective of the game. It's totally different. And just to see how far the game has come, how much it's grown, I'm so positive about just to see what by the next Olympics, what this is going to look like. So moving on to our next panel, give it up for Andy Kyoto of TSN. And we've got Scott Wheeler coming out here as well. Make some noise. So many chairs. So few people. How's everyone doing? <laughs> oh, it is bright. I know. Like, I'm not exaggerating when I say it's bright. I can't see past the first row. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> what do you know about selfies? <laughs> what are you saying? Okay. So, let's move on. We'll introduce our panel guests here. So Andy, let's familiarize ourselves with you. So tell us about yourself. I mean, you're working on Least Lunch right now with Andy Petrillo. How are you enjoying that? Uh, I'm enjoying it. What I'm really enjoying, though, is that I'm not sweating profusely from the lights. Last time at the uh, rec room oh, was my really? first puck talk. So I come out on stage, and the lights were just shining so bright, and I broke into a sweat. And I <laughs> thought, this is not how I wanted to start. Oh, no. What color talk. shirt so did you wear? No, I was good. I had a jacket oh. on, so I was all set. So anyway, so it's already got off to a good start here today, but one of the ongoing jokes this year on the radio is who's Andy Kyoto? And I've spent a lot of time in uh, Europe the last, <laughs> over the last 10 years playing. I uh, played in the NHL with the Pittsburgh Penguins. I played in Russia in the Continental Hockey League. I spent four years in Finland, time in Austria, and I just finished my 15-year playing career. And Leafs lunch, well, no, I... Thank you. Um, so the Leafs lunch has come about, I, I've always had a relationship with Michael Landsberg. When I was playing junior with the Toronto St. Michael's Majors, our team wanted to promote the group and send someone over to off the record, to show off the record. Mm -hmm. But I was 16 years old and Landsberg, and they had no interest in having a 16 year old on their show. So I went over and it went, it went well, so they said, we'll have you back. So I went back the following summer and then I got drafted to the NHL and then I went back the following summer. I played in the NHL. So for about three or four years, I was going back because I was a prospect. <laughs> and then I played in the NHL. So there was kind of that connection we were building. And then I went off to Europe. And the years after that was just because we had a good relationship and I always stayed connected with the game through my friends, following the NHL every year while I was overseas. And then this year when I moved on from playing, Michael had me on the morning show and it's kind of evolved to doing the morning show and now Leafs Lunch. And for me to be involved in the game so heavily right now, first year out of playing, it's really been enjoyable. And events like these, TSN every day, working in the OHL with the Ottawa 67s, working with different pro goaltenders and younger goaltenders, it's, it's been really fun. So I'm happy to be here, happy to be here today as well. It's funny you say Michael Landsberg because he seems to have his hands on everything. He actually helped me get my start in broadcasting as well. I needed an internship in my last year at Ryerson and I watched off the record every single day. So I sent an email being like, can you please let me come shadow Michael for a day? Not expecting a response. And Michael was 
so humble, so accommodating, and he brought me on as an intern for four months. So it's nice to hear a story like that because people always wonder, what are the broadcasters like when they're away from camera or when they're away from being on their radio show? And Michael is truly a great person. He is. He, he's a great man. And even the off the record, the first time I went, the show would take over an hour to get complete. And over 10, 12, 13 years, that show moved like clockwork. And I watched Michael evolve on the show. I watched how excellent the broadcasts were, how excellent the show, it was like a, a well-oiled machine. And then always after the show, before the show, get to know him really well and the same thing. He was a good man, gave me a nice opportunity. We've always hit it off well and it's nice that you kind of share that same sentiment. And Scott, how are things going down with the Marlies? Things are going well, the Marlies are the Marlies. All they do is win. Uh, that's pretty much the status quo right now. So we're kind of just, it's kind of the same situation where the Leafs, where you're just waiting for the playoffs and then things get real because you can only beat Laval and Belleville so many times. Yeah, we were at the Marley Season Seed Holder event last week at the Hockey Hall of Fame, and it was so different than the Leafs season seat holder event because the Leafs they brought their alumni whereas the Marlies they just unleashed all the players and they had all the season seat holders there so it was really cool to see even Kyle Dubas roaming around talking to all the fans and fielding their questions and you don't typically get to see that so coming off of that win against Laval Sheldon Keefe addressed the media afterwards and I found that it was interesting that he said I think we're getting a little too comfortable being at home. We haven't stayed in a hotel room in over a month so let's just get out of here. Yeah, it's, it, he's weird that way where he's the kind of guy who wants everything to be moving so quick and I think that's obviously driven by his personality and he's a really interesting character in real life but uh, yeah, they've been kind of mediocre the last little while. Uh, they lost their three best forwards, Sashnikov, Kapanen, and Janssen, to the NHL. Uh, and they've just kind of been this run-of-the-mill team the last little while. I think they're still 8-2 and two in their last 10 games. But for the Marlies... Top of the AHL, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, they haven't been scoring like they did. They still have the best defense in the league, the best goaltending tandem in the league. Uh, but the, the forwards up front are now pretty mediocre. So uh, I think he's just kind of waiting for a spark and, and something to get them going. And now they get to play Manitoba twice, who's really their biggest competition. Yeah, he said, we're looking forward to playing more teams that are actually in the playoff picture. But speaking about the blue line... Belleville is awful. <laughs> <laughs> they actually asked me to go on that road trip. They were taking a bunch of fans down there, and I was like... Do I have to go? <laughs> like, is that the worst thing to say? But with the blue line, they've had to overcome a lot of adversity this year. I mean, they lost Travis Dermott. They lost Renat Valiev. So how have they been dealing with that absence? It just seems like they've got, like, 15 guys. Mm -hmm. Like, they lose Valiev. They lose Dermott. Laverde steps up. They obviously added Jesper Lindgren in the last little while. He had a rough first game, but... They just have so many players. Even on any given night, you'll have Lilligren, Marinson, Borgman, Rosen. One of those guys has to sit because they still have eight players right now. So once they get Dermott back, which I expect they will, I think the Marlies will have a longer playoff run than the Leafs will. They're going to have nine defensemen. And whoa, then whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Scott. Marley's season ends later, so yeah. you've got that to your advantage, and the Leafs are in tough with Tampa and Boston. We don't know. I mean, they're playing right now, aren't they? 2-1 Boston? And it's in Boston, right? Oh, goodness. Yeah. 
I mean, we had to plan for the playoffs, and originally we booked our hotel rooms in Boston, and then two days ago we booked hotel rooms in Tampa. So we're kind of just playing this waiting game. Where are we going to end up? But uh, speaking from a goaltender's perspective, Garrett Sparks, all the knocks against him was could he put together a career year? Could he stay healthy? He has been doing that for the most part this year. What does he need to do to get over that final hurdle to make his stay with the Maple Leafs? He has to stick with it and continue to produce and continue to perform the way he's doing. And sometimes you think about you have one great season or two great seasons or three great seasons. For a goaltender, there's two jobs on your National Hockey League team. Right now, there's a starter in Freddie Anderson who is elite and he's not going anywhere. And there's a backup in Curtis McElhinney who's performed incredibly well for this team. Right now, there's nowhere to go in the Leafs organization. So what do you do? You keep performing well. There's 30 other teams in the league. There's opportunities that will present themselves somewhere else. But the key is to just keep building your game, keep growing your game, and provide value and make yourself valuable. And in time, an opportunity will present itself maybe here in Toronto or maybe somewhere else. What you can't do is rush it, start to get frustrated, start to be elsewhere mentally. You have to stay there and put in your time and recognize that there's 30 starting jobs in the National Hockey League and there's 60 jobs in the National Hockey League. And for him, he's done an incredible job with the Marlies. He's a big man. He plays, he's a really intelligent guy. He knows his game inside out. He's done a really good job with the goaltending coach down there, Piero Greco. And he's given himself an opportunity to instill belief in an NHL club that he can step up and contribute. As soon as he doesn't do that, there won't be a place for him. So what he's doing is exactly what he needs to do. You keep banging on that door and eventually it opens somewhere. And the thing with Sparks is that, and I've mentioned, you would be able to speak to this as well, but I've mentioned this before, he's a really strong personality. So he takes those highs and those lows really tough. And so I would imagine that that waiting game is, is more difficult on him than it would be perhaps on another goalie who's as good as he is and has waited as long as he is just because he is a really emotional guy. Uh, and you can see it on him. Like he knows he's ready to play in the NHL. He has like two games where he's mediocre and he gives up three or four goals and he gets really down on himself. I was writing a, a piece today on him that's coming out tomorrow that is looking at sort of his season. And he had this four game stretch in February where it was like, oh, he's, he's playing ordinary hockey. And then his last nine games, he's basically been flawless. And it, it just must be so tough knowing that you're capable it's easy when you're when you're a young guy and you're 21, 22, and he's been with the Marlies for five years, and you've got to play that waiting game, and you know it's part of the process. But now it must be like the clock's ticking. But that's part of refining your skills mentally. That's part of there's as long as you're down there, there's things you can improve, and it's just like a coach. A coach takes a long time to arrive in the National Hockey League, and Mike Babcock makes he has a great point. He says, arrive early, leave late. Arrive late, stay long. And the same thing goes for a goaltender. All those things that he experiences mentally, it's just going to be magnified in the National Hockey League. So if you can't handle every single bump in the road that you experience in the minors, you're not going to be prepared for life in the NHL. And I think we talked about what separates a starting goaltender from a backup goaltender. And it's a starting goaltender has a demeanor that he's able to handle that stuff, those types of... You can't have highs and lows like that in the National Hockey League. So as long as you're down there, you've got an opportunity to learn and develop. Use that time, because the next time he gets an opportunity in the NHL, the goal should be never look back. 
I think the one thing that he did in the offseason, I think we talked about it at a previous Puck Talks, just how much work he put in the offseason. He had changed yeah. his diet, his whole routine. And you working with Bile Steel and Matt Nickel, that's something that they preach there too, isn't it? Totally. I think there's so much to learn off the ice with how to handle your body, strength and conditioning, your nutrition, your rest, how to handle the demands of a season. And we're seeing it with Freddie Anderson. Last year he played, he had a huge workload and he did a really good job. But this year he addressed some of those things off the ice. His nutrition improved, his ability to understand where to find rest during the season has improved. And he's a stronger guy and he's, he's, he's a better goaltender this year. So you talk about the BioSteel group and Matt Nickel and he's one of the best strength and conditioning coaches in the world because he's mastered recovery. He gives his athletes a clear understanding of what they need to do to be successful physically, stay injury free. Injury prevention is a big thing. And to handle the rigors of a whole season, you better stay healthy. And that's always been the biggest thing with Sparks. He's always played well, he's been hot, and then he gets injured, and then he's gone for 10 games, and Antoine Bebo's the starter come playoffs. And that was a struggle for him. And, and you're right, we did mention it before, but he lost 15 pounds of just pure body fat this summer, fasted for the first time. He'd never done that. Talked about how brutal it was, and it's paid off, and he's stayed healthy. 15 pounds, like, you got to be pretty chubby to lose 15 pounds of gold. <laughs> and you always, you always hear that. You're like, red. he lost 15 pounds. Like, how are you 15 pounds <laughs> overweight to start with? But, uh, yeah, it's a problem with, with some guys, I guess. I mean, when you come from an Italian heritage, you have bread at every <laughs> yes. meal, like gnocchi for dinner. So, yeah, I don't know what he was eating, but, yeah, I could probably lose 15 pounds for the summer. But it, I was doing a panel the other week with... Nick Andropov and he obviously has a son that's playing in the OHL right now he's playing for the Oshawa Generals and he was saying that he sends his son to Matt Nickel because he's so unorthodox but yet he sees things from a different point of view where he says I send my goalies to do squash lessons in the summer or I'll send a player to go do ballet like how does something like that be implemented into on ice and off ice training? Yeah, we do. So I've trained with Matt Nickel the last seven years. In my first 10 years of my career, I had a MCL tear, ACL tear, osteitis pubis in my groin, groin pull, hip labrum tear. Like my injury list was really long before I met Matt. And one of the things with Matt is first, it's injury prevention first, mobility, stability, make sure your body works properly. But he also integrates fun things into his program, like gymnastics even. So you'll have 30 NHLers in the summer from Tyler Sagan to Wayne Simmons to a whole crew that we have at the gym doing gymnastics. And guys are jumping off, up, up and down. And you'd have football players, 230, 270 pound football players get on a trampoline and it's unbelievable to see these guys, guys work. So that, it, it caters to the athletic side of the game. And whether you're doing gymnastics or you're playing squash or beach volleyball, whatever it is, it makes you a better all-around athlete. And that's important for young goaltenders, young players, and athletes in the NHL. You saw some of the videos from the summer. Someone even like Mitch Marner, he was doing stick handling while jumping off of a springboard and doing all these backwards twirls and stuff. And yet he has this slow start out of the gate. Everybody was counting him out, saying that he was going to have a sophomore slump. Okay, we're just writing off his year. And then he turns it around, and he's scoring over 20 goals. How was he able to do that? And is it just chalked up to the fact that Babcock made those line of changes and put him with, you know, Kadri or someone else? For me, the adversity he faced early in the season was somewhat self-inflicted or imposed by the coaching staff. Mm -hmm. I think they wanted to send him a message early. They wanted to really hold him accountable to areas of his game that they wanted him to improve. And while he was playing on the fourth line and shuffled around the lineup, I saw nothing but a kid that did it with a great attitude, 
He had a smile on his face. He made comments like, we're going to have the best fourth line in the league talking about him and Martin. <laughs> like, how awesome is that? You're the coach sitting in the, in the room and you want to send a message to this kid. And he's like, he's having fun. This, this is not how it's supposed to go. And he made those guys better. He created scoring chances. He, during that time, I, I called him, I, I said, he's a superstar. And people were saying, he's not a superstar. He absolutely is. Mm -hmm. You watch this kid, his passion for the game plays the entire game on his outside edges, so shifty, sees the game so well. He makes plays that nobody else sees. How often have you seen someone on his team be the recipient of a, a slot line pass and they're shooting into an empty net? Marlowe caught. It happens all the time. This guy is a special player. He doesn't have the cachet or stature of Matthews, doesn't have that presence, that seriousness that makes you look at him like a leader, a captain, but he's every bit as good. And sometimes it's not that complicated with a player. We tend to overanalyze everything. But, I mean, Justin Bourne's here. I don't know whether he's there or in the back. But he, he always jokes when players can just shoot the puck into the net. Like, that's the number one skill you have. And the number one skill Marner has is that, like, shit just happens when he's on the ice. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter who you stick him with. He can find guys. He can handle the puck. And when you can handle the puck and you can find guys in the NHL, shit happens. And... I just good think, shit. Yeah, good <laughs> shit. Almost always good shit. And, and Babcock, I think, has learned more with Marner than some of the other plays to live with, with some of those mistakes that also happen. Um, he's not very good defensively. I think that line when he was with Bozak and JVR was, was pretty ugly defensively. Uh, but, I mean, he's so good offensively. Like, there's no denying that he's going to be a star. And the thing with Nylander having his slump, if you will, the last little while is that it's going to impact his contract. And I think the reverse is going to happen with Marner. This last 20 games is going to earn him half a million more per year when he comes to the table. Not to mention what can be achieved in the playoffs. These guys are in a position to do something special. Whatever we see them doing down the stretch here, if he can perform like this in the playoffs, it's magnified and they take themselves to a whole other level. And you see Marner the other night coming back, tracking back, breaks up a three on two on Dadanov. He's grinding in the defensive zone as well. Like he's working hard on the ice. And if those guys do that in the playoffs and this Leafs team, they've shown signs when they're on, they're as good as anybody in the league. There's some inconsistencies in their game that sometimes leaves you questioning how good can they be? How deep can they go? But every time they've had their back against the wall or they've had to respond after a poor performance, they've done it. And it's a team that thinks offense. The, their brains are wired for offense. It's not wired for most of these guys to play hard and heavy and play on the defensive side on the puck unless they have to. And in playoffs, I believe they're going to have to. And we might just see a Leafs team that might surprise everyone to those who don't believe they can actually win a Stanley Cup. We might also see them move in the first round. That's the nature of the way this, the playoffs are set up. But this team could be special. Yeah, I think if you look at the Eastern Conference, look at the Western Conference, there's three or four teams that could fall in the first round or go all the way. And the Leafs are right in that group. But they have the swagger, right? Like someone with Willie, he gets called out in media scrums by Babcock. He gets benched. And yet he just, like, water off the duck's back. Marner has that. Matthews has that. So doesn't that play to their advantage when they have these players where they're just kind of unshakable? Yeah, like Willie Nylander, this kid's got swagger. Like he, mm -hmm. you think he cares? When he's, no. He's sitting on, he just knows he's so good. And, you know, he actually, him and Captain and I, when I was playing in Europe, they lived in my house. Like they rented my house really? for the wintertime. Tell us and, more. No, I, I'll, I'll leave it at that. But I deal, <laughs> deal with these guys and like, 
Nylander, he doesn't, he's, he knows, he knows how good he is. He knows also what he has to do. Right. He understands the expectations that Mike Babcock has of him. And he knows he has to conform in a lot of ways to the way he wants him to play. But he'll, he's, this kid's living. <laughs> <laughs> I think Matthews is the same way too. And Matthews, Matthews, Matthews pretty, puts out this aura where he's this, this adult and he's, He's trying to be that, that team guy, but Meanwhile, Matthews he's is, in his bedroom playing he, Fortnite. Like, not, is that what you're saying? And he, no, he's cocky. Oh. Like, he, yeah. he knows he's Austin Matthews. And with, with guys like Marner, I think they're still sort of living in a cloud and living in this dream. And, and then you see guys like Matthews and Nylander off the ice, and, and they know. Well, even Matthews, back-to-back 30-goal seasons. I think this year only two of them haven't been scored at even strength. That's impressive. What he brings to the table, he has every reason to be that confident and, and cocky, if you will. This guy could score like anybody else. He's strong. He does it at five on five. He's so smart. His hockey sense is off the charts. And he's just getting started. And when you compare him to other stars in the league, he, he's, he's, he's right there. And imagine if that power play was good. If that unit with him and Nylander was good. Like, what Matthews does at even strength, if he had even 25% more points on the power play, like, he'd, he'd, he'd be a runaway top three player in the league. And I think people already recognize that he is that just because he's done it at even strength. But next year might be interesting when they lose JVR and they need someone else to play with Marner because... I mean, Marner's so good at finding guys, so... When? Bold statement. When they lose JVR. I... Yeah. Do you know something that we don't... <laughs> no, but I, I think you're right. And the beautiful thing with the Leafs is that they have that potential, right? They have the potential to get two units going. And if that happens in the playoffs, watch out. And what he does five on five plus what he can do on the power play, this Leafs team is scary. And just to circle back to JVR, he's another guy who this last... 15 game stretch it's great the Leafs are playing well but I'm sure Lou Amarello is sitting in his office thinking I would have rather if he didn't score 30 points in 20 games or whatever it's been just because JVR probably earned himself the difference between being a 37 38 goal scorer and being a 30 goal scorer he's going to get an extra million per year long term and, and the Leafs just don't have that kind of cap space. Mike Johnson said today on Leafs Lunch he's scoring himself out of town. He's playing him playing himself out of town and it could be very realistic. Okay, we have about like ten more minutes left with these guys. Do you have any questions out in the audience? Oh, familiar face. What's your question? Uh, just for Andy, um, you played in the K. Do you have any interesting stories or just oh, kind yeah. of funny scenarios that, that you're, happened? You're probably like, cut the bullshit talking about all this other stuff. Like you had the first, the first sentence was where we could have stayed for 30 minutes. I do. It was wild. Um, it was quite the experience. Like little, little things like the president of the country. I was, my team was Minsk Belarus. He loved hockey. So he wanted to play hockey and he'd have this tournament. And all the players had to play in it, regardless. You had guys with big contracts, a lot at stake. They had to play in this tournament with him, play like three games in a day. And he, uh, he'd come into the rink, and he'd have eight cars behind him, Maybach, Yukons, blacked out, tinted windows, and they'd be following him down the main street. And all the streets leading up to this main street, you'd see traffic building up. And I'd be in my like, apartment looking down, and what's going on down there? You see the road is clear, traffic building up on both sides and then whew, whew, all the cars flying to our rink and it's the president of the country playing shinny every week on Wednesdays. 
no one's allowed to hit him. Don't hit him. Like, like it's a rule. Don't hit him. You're not allowed to hit this guy. Like, if, you're, if you've told everyone, you can't hit me and you have to let me score, how good do you feel about yourself when you score? Like, and that was the way it went with him. Um, at the beginning of the year, we had a beautiful plane. And there's long flights. Like, you're flying nine hours within the country. Plane was great right away. We start losing some games. They took our plane away. And they gave, like, our plane now was like this 1965, you can see cigarette burns in some of the, I'm not kidding. The seat that was in front of you, you would just, you would just kick down so you could put your feet up. Did you guys start winning shortly after that? Or? You'd think, <laughs> but we didn't. <laughs> and you'd be traveling on, and I was 25 at the time. Like, it didn't even phase me. It didn't even bother me. But our Russians loved to drink. We had a former NHLer that mo most of you will know. I won't mention his name. He'd get into the airport into our, with an empty bag. And he'd just walk up. There'd be like a bar. And the girl there, he said something to her quickly in Russian. He'd drop his bag and she'd fill it with booze. <laughs> and you'd go on a seven-day road trip, four games, four different time zones. You play every other day. And our Russians between games would be in the back of the plane just having a time. <laughs> like, I mean, and the imports were like, well, how do these guys do this? Like, on a regular basis, we... We played in, against uh, Radulov and I think at the time it was uh, Ufa or Kazan. And we're all out the night before our game having dinner on the road and he comes in and they're <laughs> getting bottle service the night before a game. And, um, there's, you know what, it's a, it's, it was an amazing time, an amazing time, um, but it's a, it's a unique place. Like money can get you, mm -hmm. you don't get speeding ticket if you have a few bucks in your pocket. And, it's a different place. Sometimes we call it a lawless society, but the hockey was great. Yager was there at the time. Radulov, some really great players. You'd see like an NHL-style rink and a dirt road around it. Um, some towns you'd see a cloud of smoke because it's an industrial town, and, and it'd be nice. And then, I mean, and then there's stories that I can't tell you guys. <laughs> Did you learn any Russian? Yeah, I, any country I played in, I'd always learn the basics. Count street names, restaurants, be able to order food, taxis, like we got around, there was a taxi stand and like drivers over there. Every time you went in the taxi, you'd tell them where you're going and they'd think we're, they didn't realize we lived there. So I know exactly how much they're trying to screw me by every time. It's like, I'm like, we're going to the arena and he's like, okay, let's just make something up. $40. I'm like, it's a $10 ride. $40. And every day you'd have to go through the same thing depending on which car you got into and Little things like that. It was a great time, though. It really was. Oh, that's cool. Anybody else? I can't see. Question? Right. Okay. Making me work for it. I'm coming. What's your name? Al. And what's your question? Uh, I know you guys talked about how good the defense is for the Marlies right now. Over the uh, short to medium term, uh, who do you think is the first call-up from, uh, from the Marlies on the defensive side? Is it going to be Borgman or Rosen or Hall? Or do we get to see Timothy Lindgren at any point? Thank you. I don't think Lilligren's coming anytime soon. He's been good this year for an 18-year-old, the only 18-year-old defenseman in the AHL. But it, it's still going to be – he needs to play a full year. He's good defensively, which has been a pleasant surprise just because that was the knock against him coming in. Uh, you saw the turnovers a little bit early on, but that's pretty much gone from his game, and he's been really good defensively, but not 
sort of attacking as much as the Marlies want him to. So I'd like to see him play a full year next year. He's obviously had illnesses and, and injuries in the World Juniors, and it's just been a weird year for him. Um, as far as after that, it's it's weird because Sheldon Keith falls in love and out of love with players really quickly. So right now he's really impressed with how Calais Rosen's been playing, even though Rosen's been pretty mediocre all year until the last sort of two or three weeks. Uh, Hole is another favorite. Sheldon Keith loves Justin Hole, um, sort of like he did with Janssen. Uh, Marinson's an, an absolute animal in the AHL. Like you can't, I, I joke about it, but he's like Gandalf. Like he's like forwards, you shall not pass. That's like, <laughs> he's just ridiculously good, de at least defensively. And then, I mean, they've got a lot of guys. Borgman's been actually kind of mediocre, if I'm being honest. He hasn't played well, and I don't think he would be the first recall. So it's probably Justin Hole, but Babcock's also picky about left-handed, right-handed. So it would depend that way. Um, but yeah, Borgman has kind of been a surprise in that he's kind of been pedestrian. He was really good last night, but otherwise he's been pretty mediocre. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of just a run of who those guys are. Marinson, I think, is the best defenseman on the team, but he's not a Mike Babcock favorite, so he <laughs> wouldn't be that guy. Yeah, you hit it. That's Yeah, you're with those guys all the time down there, so I think it's uh, a great answer. Another question on the right side of the room. Hi, Daniel. Um, so with uh, JVR, Bozak, and Komarov, uh, and more, uh, and Placanitz leaving in the summer, uh, do you see the Leafs doing anything big in free agency, or is the answer inside of the system? Yeah, I think there's an embarrassment of riches for the Leafs within their team, that they're going to have to be really crafty and intelligent on how they go about getting deals done with Marner, deals done with Matthews, deals done with Nylander, how they manage guys from the bottom, like Kapanen. And, you know, those are going to be guys that can replace a Komarov for much cheaper. Janssen, he's going to be able to make a replacement for cheaper. So there's, there's the beauty that the Leafs have is that their NHL club, their American League club, they're building from within, which gives you an opportunity to replace guys for cheap or cheaper than existing players and replaceable players. And then you can allocate money to the big guys that you want to keep together as your core. And I think jury's still out on JVR. He's going to be tough to sign for sure, but you never know what they can get done with him. So before the conversation goes elsewhere and what they can acquire via free agency, I think they have a lot of questions from within to answer. And if there is somebody that they can get their hands on in free agency, sign and trade, or come July 1, they probably would want to address something on the right side on the back end because they have so much up front. So that's kind of what I would think you know, offhand, and when you really dive into the numbers, they're going to have to really manage this properly to, to keep this team trending in the right direction. And people forget that after Nylander and Matthews and Marner, you've got Jake Gardner coming up literally right around the corner, and that's a huge piece on the back end. Obviously, they're hoping that by then players like Liljegren will be ready, but there isn't a ton after. I mean, we lots of people have mentioned this, but there really isn't a ton as far as prospects and the Marlies go, that's coming after this wave of, of Janssen and Kapanen. Um, Grundstrom's going to be a fine player, but he's not going to play next year. After that, it's slim. I mean, you've got Liljegren, maybe Jeremy Bracco somewhere down the line, but it's, it's really not a great pool now that they've graduated so many of these young players, and they're going to have to, I mean, Andy mentioned it, they're really going to have to make some nice moves at the margins to be able to afford to pay Matthews, 12 million, and 
the other guy's seven, so. Yeah, and look at the acquisitions they made from within this year. Dermot comes up. That's a trade. Like, to get a guy like that at the For time sure. that they got him, that's huge. Kapanen, the way Kapanen came in and completely changed the look of that fourth line, how fast is that fourth line with him? Janssen, who comes up. So the beautiful thing, and, and I played with Cappy in Finland. We played together before he came over to to Wilkes-Barre and the Penguins organization, and I've seen him develop and grow and get stronger every year and what he's been able to bring to the table. That's that's a credit to the, the farm team, a credit to their whole organization and the way things are being done in this, this Maple Leafs organization, but those are huge additions from within. That didn't cost them anything. And I think one of the biggest question marks heading into the offseason is going to be who, who plays at center. I mean, you mentioned it, but Bozak and Plakanitz are likely not back, and I think Bozak is almost a bigger decision than JVR just because the Leafs have so much depth on the wing that they don't have at center, and I get asked about Miro Altonen as an option all the time, and I just don't think he's going to be an impact player or a guy who helps push the needle for a team that wants to contend for a cup. So they've got potentially two slots to fill. Obviously, Marlowe has played center before. Nylander may end up in that slot. I think Nylander's better at center if they can really trust him there just because he's so good with the puck on his stick. Uh, but th those, that third and fourth line center is a huge hole that they have to fill, and cheaply. Okay, last question, the center of the room. Hi, my name is uh, Chewy. Um, I have just a question more for you, Andy. Have you been ever in a position kind of like a Josh Levo or a Matt Martin where you know you have the skills to be in the NHL, but you're just behind a whole bunch of players and you can't get in? What was that like for you? I never interpreted it that way when, unless I was right in it. And when you're in it as a player, you certainly feel that way. So I was drafted behind Rick DiPietro, who was the first ever goaltender to go first overall. I was then, I re-entered the draft. I didn't come to a deal with the New York Islanders. And I was then drafted behind Marc-Andre Fleury, who went first overall. And there were times in the moment that I thought I was going to get an opportunity that there's no way I was going to get that opportunity just by virtue of the fact that, A, he's Marc-Andre Fleury, he's a first overall pick, and bottom line, he's more talented and better than me in a lot of ways. In the short term, I was able to outperform Mark in a very healthy way. We went to the Calder Cup Finals. This is actually, I'll give you a good example. My first year pro went to the Calder Cup Finals as a rookie. So I was a starter all year in the American League. At the end of the season, Sebastian Caron, who was playing in Pittsburgh, got sent down. Marc-Andre Fleury, who lost out in the, in the Quebec League, got called up. I went to the stands. After being the starter all year, I had played in the NHL for Pittsburgh, played incredibly well. I was in the stands to start the playoffs. So what could I do at that time? I practiced my ass off. I was prepared every day. I thought, there's got to be a way I'm going to get in this net, even though it looks light years away. We go down 3-1 to one in the first series. Marc-Andre plays the first game, doesn't do well. Caron plays the second game, doesn't do well. We're down 2 nothing. Turn it into 2-1 at home. Then 3-1, we go down at home, but he doesn't play well, Caron. So Michelle Terrian was a coach at the time, and he said, go ahead, it's your, it's your net. So I went in, and we went all the way to the Calder Cup Finals. We won game five in overtime, won game six by shutout, won game seven on my birthday in overtime. It was a great, great time. Went to the Calder Cup Finals. I played like 80 games that year as a rookie. Well, now all of the next season coming in, Marc-Andre Fleury's my partner. And I struggled a little bit out of the gate. He did too a little bit. But I went into that season thinking, I'm going to play 75 games and I'm going to be the starter. And I was so focused on achieving what I did the previous year. But no, it, it, you just focus on your game, perform well. If my starts fell on Sunday afternoon on the back end of a three-on-three, three three, that's where they fell. 
And in the moment, you have this sense of entitlement that you deserve something more than you do, but you forget how competitive the sport is. You forget who you're up against. And most of the time, if you remove yourself emotionally from the situation, you'd probably make the same decisions the coach is making and the organization is making anyway. Dermot comes up, does he not deserve to play? Yeah, the guy, look at him play. He's, he fits on, that, on, the, uh, on the left side beautifully. So as a player, you're in it, you're so competitive, you believe in yourself so much that you don't see that big picture often and you think you're getting screwed, but you're not getting screwed. Nobody's ever got screwed long-term. Every player's gotten screwed short-term. That's important. Everybody, Levo right now, yes. But if he keeps banging on the door and JVR is out, an opportunity presents itself for him. So can you stay in the fight? Can you stay in the fight long enough without beating yourself? Can you stay in the fight long enough without saying something stupid or being a bad teammate or letting it impact your play? And if you can, opportunities present themselves because I could have been a great backup to Marc-Andre Fleury. It's just the way things go. I got injured. Danny Sabrin came in, took my job in the short term. He and Fleury had a good thing going. It's just the nature of this game. It's a competitive game. You better be prepared to endure the long battle that you're presented with as a player. What is the nature of that relationship like between a starter and a backup? I've always wondered, like sometimes it seems like it's a healthy relationship and other times you're like, do they like each other? Like, how does that work? It's the best way is to have a healthy, positive relationship. Be positive around one another, support one another. You're in the fight together. In the American League, it's different sometimes. If you're both young guys, you're both trying to make it to the National Hockey League and you don't have that maturity level yet to understand your role, to understand the situation, it's a little bit different. But look at Curtis McElhinney and Freddie Anderson. Great relationship. Curtis McElhinney knows exactly what his job description is. He knows exactly what his role is on that team. He's not trying to supplant Freddie Anderson as a starter. He's giving the Leafs great starts. His job is to win hockey games when he goes in the net and be a great teammate to everyone in that room and Freddie Anderson. Clearly defined. Freddie Anderson's the man. It's his job. And as soon as McElhinney decides to have a different agenda, he's not going to be around anymore. So I think goaltending partners, Pekka told me this when I was in Finland, him and Nicholas Backstrom were partners. Nicholas Backstrom played in Minnesota, great goaltender. Well, Pekka said at that time, you have to have a positive relationship with your partner. Mm-hmm. Pekka that year played like four games. Well, Nicholas Backstrom played every single game, but Pekka understood where he was in his development, had a great attitude, positive guy, worked his ass off, came over to the American League, played 60 games a year in the minors, and then became a starter right away in the NHL. So the message is, be a good teammate, understand it's a process, don't be a dick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, as anybody, Martin Rule Levin, number one. Yeah, and I think in time, you're rewarded. For me, I had a 15-year career. I think I kind of, maybe I could have been a good backup in the NHL, but I think I really worked my ass off and maximized my potential, and I was able to play for a long time. Well, guys, thank you so much for doing this. Just before we let you go, Scott, what's your next article? You said something about Garrett Sparks. Oh, we're Tease d- it. just doing a, a review of how every Marley's player has, has played all year. So that'll be coming out tomorrow. Tomorrow. Okay. And Andy? Just uh, we've got our OHL teams in the playoffs. Leafs lunch tomorrow. Um, planning summer programs and just hockey all day, every day. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up one more time for Scott Wheeler and Andy Kyoto. Okay, we're going to take a brief little break here, about five minutes. So stretch your legs, go to the bathroom, grab a drink, food, whatever you need to do. And then we'll be back here shortly with an NHL roundtable.